This is Top Shop Podcast. Shop Podcast. Top Shop Podcast. A show way beyond the story. Get ready to accelerate your knowledge and stay ahead of the competition. Podcast for automotive service business owners by Paul Donahue. So, hey, welcome everybody. Uh, on this Top Shop Podcast, we've got a special guest, Dennis Kirkpatrick, good uh, good Irishman name like Donahue. And uh, he's the owner of European Collision out in San Francisco. Started his business from scratch. Uh, he's killing it. Uh, he's got two locations. I've uh, been in business over 15 years. And I mentioned this on a lot of my podcasts. 80% of shops go out of business in the first five and another 80% the second five. So that's why I want to interview successful people like Dennis and get their insights uh, to help other shop owners across the nation that might be listening to this or resyndicated to. His sales are kicking butt. Very few shops ever make it to uh, double eight di- to nine digits in sales and they're already there. Okay. So Dennis knows a thing or two about starting and growing a successful uh, local um, auto repair shop business. So without further ado, let me introduce Dennis. So Dennis, I always go, you know, how did you get started? Uh, that's I, This is the part I was like, how did you get started down this road? And um did you, or when you were eight years old, you're like, I'm going to own an auto body shop, you know? So, uh, <laughs> so when, when I was eight years old, I was probably running around a body shop. Um, okay. Family business, you know, my, uh, uh, my uh, and his, his uncles had, had shops. Um, my dad and my, my uncles worked in them. I'm surrounded by mechanics and, and body men. Um, dad's a mechanic taught me a lot of mechanical grandpa was the collision guy and, and I followed down that path. Wow. Okay. So, um, so you took over the family business then, uh, at a certain point or no, no, the, the, you know, my, my grandpa and his brothers, my great uncles had businesses on and off over the years. And then the, when I was in high school, my grandfather started a, a body shop called B and D auto body Bob mm-hmm. and, Dennis. and uh, I worked, you know, after school and then, then after high school, went to work with him. Um, and a few years later, you know, he, he had kind of suggested, you know, maybe you should try to, you know, work outside of the, the business and learn some stuff, you know, um, you know, we're stagnant here. We're a little business. He was old school. Right. We weren't doing great. You know, we didn't have a lot of clients. It was a pretty small shop. And I went out and got a job, um, as a tech and was out there for a few years and he passed and, then the business just, just shut down and, and that was it. Um, then I just continued my career in the industry. Okay. So you, st- so you started a European collision in what year? Uh, we started, I've got, I've got partners. Uh, right. We started in 2008. 2008. Now uh, I think you wisely invested in European. So I am, I drive three times, three kinds of cars. Porsche, Porsche, and uh, oh yeah, Porsche. That's it. <laughs> I don't drive anything about Porsches. I love Porsches. I don't care what people say about them. That's my favorite car. I love them. So um, I, I live in Utah, a lot of snow. So I got a Macan and I got a Cayenne, both turbos tuned, of course. <laughs> and those massive tires with a pair of Hakapalita tires on them. I mean, you just rip through ice and snow like you. It's like, almost like you're on pavement. So I love the kind of cars that you work on and repair. And uh, was that a conscious decision on you guys? Hey, we want to focus on European because it's, they're higher end cars. It's going to be bigger jobs, bigger tickets. Did you guys, did you know that from the beginning? Um, it, Mercedes, uh, you ah. know, 
my business partner and I work for BMW, um, passionate about that brand for many years. And while working for that company, uh, we went out and, and tried to get more work for the facility. It was a very large facility. And we approached a Mercedes dealer and we earned their, their business um, and started doing a little bit of the work. But over time, they uh, we were doing a lot more of their work and they approached us and said, hey, you know, we really don't love sending all this business to a competitor. And so when we went to open the business, it was opened as a Mercedes certified facility. Um, okay. The game is, is actually, uh, you know, kind of a harkens back to the dealership's original name, which was European Motors. Um, okay. Yeah. European Motors. I see. Okay. Yeah. I noticed on your website, you tend to uh, specialize in BMW? We, we do now. That's actually a, the okay. newest brand that we got OEM certified with. Okay, is is uh, is uh, a BMW. Okay, yeah. That's why I started out with. Uh, um, I can't remember what year it was. Um, um, Four point eight IS uh, the mm -hmm. BMW um, the SUV. So uh, uh, yeah, um, it's a great car. I remember it. it was fire engine red with factory chrome rims on it. Holy smokes! <laughs> Black interior. It was a cool. Oh. Car. Yeah, so I loved it. You got um, noticed in that one. Yeah, I got great pictures of it. Yeah, it's a um, uh, it, it, man. Did that thing eat up tires? I mean, every ten thousand miles, I had to put a new set of rear tires on the back. You know. Yeah, so, they, those uh, tires aren't aren't for longevity. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So, um, so uh, what motivated you to start your own business? I mean, did you you were you kind of mentioned it already? I think your dad said, "Hey, you need to own your own business," or people around you said, "You need to own your own business." Yeah, it, it was it was really you know I had a great job. I loved who I worked for. Um, they taught me a lot. I loved who I worked with. I had a crew of people that I'm still friends with to this day. I wasn't looking to start our own business. It was it was the dealer had you know encouraged us to say, "Hey, we're going to have to do something else." and we'd like to do it with you. We like what, what you and your partners have done, um, how you service our clients, how the repairs what are, you know, which really, I, I thought they were trying to hire us. And, you know, I'm like, Hey, I got a great job. I'm not leaving. Right. No, no, we, we want you, we think you should open your own shop and service us. Now they used wow. to have a body shop and they had, you know, rougher experiences with it. They didn't want to be back in the body shop business, but they wanted to partner with someone they trusted. So we, you know, put together the paperwork. We approached our friend, who had his own business at the time, who was one of our first biggest investors, a uh, guy named Mark Mirabelli. And he, uh, he encouraged us to do it. He said, hey, no, you, you have to have your own business. You can't work for people. Uh, you know, I, I like working for someone, but, but we went through the process and a year later we were signing papers. I didn't even think it was real, you know? It wow. Happened. Well, now 15 years later, you're doing yeah. over 10 million a year in sales. So that, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing the amount of people that, uh, I find that I interview and talk with and clients of mine that, that I ask them and they kind of got steered into what they're doing. You know what I mean? So um, it's not like they, um, you know, said, Hey, this is what I want to be when I grow up. They just kind of one thing led to another and they were doing good work and something they get, they get led into it. So um, what challenges, any particular, is there a particular challenge you can remember like early on that you faced and you got over it, you, you know? Because usually when you start business, man, it's <laughs> yeah. you don't have any systems or processes in place. You got a little bit. Yeah. So there's a massive learning curve, you know, that goes on. So, you know, I mean, it, like any business that you start, you have those ups and downs. Uh, I, I'm very fortunate that I, you know, my, my business partner is Ludwig, Ludwig Rutkowski. Some people say, you know, you don't go into business with your friends. We had a 14 year run together managing 
before we got into business. So it was nice to have somebody else as opposed to being a complete sole proprietor where everything rests on your shoulders. Right. But, you know, the, the biggest challenges, I think, and I think most small businesses are finance. Uh, you underestimate what it's going to take and you start on a shoestring. You may not think it's a shoestring. You see this big bank account. You see the bunch of money the bank loaned you or you took out of your home or 401k and, and all of a sudden you realize it's not enough. You know, it's hard to it's hard to judge that run rate, you know, construction costs and building the business and equipment. You know, I think we were really close on, but it took us longer. We had to dig deeper into, you know, borrowing money. You know, the first three years, you know, like, I don't know if we could dig ourselves out of this hole. And then and all of a sudden you crest that and the business becomes self-sustaining and like, all right, all right, we did it. But I, if someone's got unlimited funds, I think a, a you could be horrible at business and you can afford to make a lot of mistakes over a long period of time. And you could eventually build a successful business. When you start so tight, you're, you're limited to those mistakes. Right. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, so has mentorship played any kind of a role? Cause there's a lot of people that, you know, they, they have a mentor um, that helped them in their business. So you had a business partner with that um, and you had 14 years of experience with that person before you got into this one. So that's, that's kind of unique. Yeah, in and of itself, would you say that person was a mentor with you or? We had mentors. Um, he had a, an area of expertise, he comes from the refinish side. He's got some strengths that I don't have. He's, he's very, he can, I don't know, he can see through people <laughs> a lot better than I can. Um, okay. I had meant, you know, from my, of course, from my dad and my, my grandpa, but on the business side, you know, my old boss, Michael Greening was, I was like going, you know, going to get an MBA on the finance side, the stuff that I didn't know as a car guy. Yeah, I didn't know P&L balance sheets, you know, uh, I, I, that stuff he taught me and he didn't have to, I worked for a car dealer, but you know, I don't know that he took me under his wing or he was that way with everybody, but he definitely, uh, taught me a lot about that. My old, my manager at the time, a guy named Kevin Miller, he's still to me, one of the best body shop managers I've ever, ever met. He taught me a lot. I still lean on him to this day. You know, I'm still calling him other shop owners, you know, a buddy of mine, JR, he, I reach out to him constantly. I think we're lucky in this industry that people are willing to help and share ideas um, if you're willing to go get it. And I think the important thing is don't wait till you need the help. You should always be trying to get information from people. You should always be trying to get experience. And right. learning. Um, sometimes when you, you know, you're in a panic and I've seen this with people there, I need help. I need help. You know, okay, well, let's band together and try to try to figure something out, but it's a little too late. You know, you should constantly be looking for those mentors in the business. And, you know, there's consultants in this industry, the Mike Anderson guy, that guy's, you know, amazing. Dave Dunn, those guys have taught me so much. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm lucky to have a lot of mentors in, in, in this, this industry. Uh, let's talk about employees. I mean, you are running two shops. How many, how many employees uh, do you have all together now? We hover right around 50. 50. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty big payroll. So one of the big, one of the big complaints I hear from, I don't care whether it's a painting contractor company or auto repair, it doesn't matter. It's hiring, finding really good qualified techs, finding really good help. Do you have any kind of an insight um, to give to other shop owners that aren't nearly you know, as successful as you are in this industry? Do you have any kind of tips or ideas that you can give to them that might help them um, you know, find good um, techs for their shops? I think it's, it's marketing, but you know, most people think of marketing, you're looking for clients, um, right. Marketing, you know, Dave Dunn taught me some things about marketing that I, you know, years ago that I hold through to this day. And 
And one of it is you're constantly marketing. You're marketing to everybody. You know, the difference between marketing and advertising is marketing encompasses your entire business. Your employees market for you. Now, have we had trouble? Oh, sure. Over the years, we've run into jams with, you know, hey, we can't find text. We're throwing ads out there like everyone else in a panic. But I think the biggest thing is we support the guys that are there and they all know other people, you know, and you don't just do that with pay. I mean, of course, pay matters. We're all here for money. I, sure. I don't minimize that. I used to have a boss that minimized that. Well, you know, pay doesn't matter. You know, they want to be respected. They want to be respected, but they got to pay. Their they want to be paid. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's a big aspect, but providing a good place for them to work, a clean place, offering them training, having a relationship with them. Um, when I'm interviewing people, you know, I, I have this thing that I say, which we don't, we don't always hire the best. We hire the best person for us. Um, we'll take a mediocre technician and make him an incredible part of the team. I've hired a few superstars over the years and it didn't matter what they could fix. It, it screwed up the team. Um, wow. They didn't get better. They didn't make the people around them better. They made the shop worse. Right. And, and so when you have that kind of culture, your marketing and your technicians help you find people when you need them. Um, yeah. We've had some success with, with bringing people up. Matter of fact, we're in a, I haven't had a, problem with technicians in the past few years and this past year has been one of the hardest and we've we've grown so we've needed it and we couldn't find people so we're going back to something that we did years ago which was we're moving some people up as apprentices i mean some of my top techs were detailers for me 10 15 years ago but we hadn't done that in a while because the investment is long yeah uh, we've got a couple of young guys interested in the industry and we think they're going to be pretty incredible yeah, the, the, from the ground up is always the best, but it always takes the longest too. So, you know, how do you build and maintain a strong company culture for with your, for your team? I guess you already answered it. You, you treat people right. You treat um, people right. You lead by example, obviously. Um, there, there's things that you, I think people take for granted. Um, your lunchroom, your bathroom, your floors. I mean, it seems silly to think that you know, hey, I get you worry about my lunchroom. The guys just want a bench where they can eat their, you know, their bag lunch. But it starts the culture there. You know, if they walk into a nice lunchroom, if their bathrooms are really nice, if your floors are constantly clean, it's going to go back to their stalls. It's going to go back to their desks for the estimators. And that starts relating to the work they do on the cars. That starts relating to how they interact with their clients. It's a big picture. It's a, it's the marketing thing. It, it's again what I what I learned from from David. You know, you have to look at the whole picture. It can't just be, hey, here's a bunch of money, here's some tools, fix those cars, and then they got to move old magazines off their their lunch table to in order to have their sandwich. You know? Yeah, my brother-in-law manages a pretty large um, uh, chain um, auto dealership, one of the bigger ones in the United States, and he's in the top three consistently in the United States. And uh, he manages over 170 people about. And I asked him one time, what's your philosophy? And he says, I, I have really good systems in place. I, get, I put good people um, in those systems and I, I treat them like family. And I'm like, of all the books that I've read, I got my wall here on management. That was some of the best management advice I ever got. You know, So it sounds like that's a philosophy that, that you um, uh, adhere to. So any important lessons you've learned about finances? And because that's like you said, it's a lot of it is finances that that you could pass on to uh, pass on to other shop owners. I'm constantly learning. So it's the weakest part of my management. I mean, you know, we're car guys. I didn't think I'd ever stare at a computer screen or, or read P and L's and balance sheets for a living on the finance front. You know, I, again, I had a, I had a boss that taught me a lot about it. Uh, 
you know, Michael Anderson, you know, he, he pounds through that. You got to stare at that PL constantly. Uh, so I think that's one of the most important things is constantly looking at every penny you're spending and not, not going cheap, but to, to ask yourself, do I need that anymore? And, and before you make an investment, I've been getting along without this thing. Is this expenditure going to have an ROI for me? I, you know, I equate it to apps. We're big in the body shop industry. There's tons of things out there, but say you buy an app on your cell phone, ah, the thing's eight bucks a month, the thing's nine bucks a month. Before too long, you're spending two, $300 a month on apps and you're not using half of them. And right. I think we do that in this industry. We buy this software program or we get this new service. Sometimes they overlap. Sometimes we're not even managing them properly. Um, you really have to analyze every penny you spend um, and, what, and how it's going to come back to you. What's, what's the return on it? Yeah, preaching to the choir. Talking about software costs, my wife and I are always going over. Do we need this software program? <laughs> Man, we spend a lot of money on software programs uh, for to help our clients out. So, uh, what trends or developments do you see happening in uh, in the industry? There's a lot lot of trends um, uh, happening all the time in in all of the automotive industry. Auto repair, auto paint protection. You know, what kind of trends do you see that? are coming up um, and um, trends or developments you see shaping the future and how are you preparing for them? I guess is the question. Well, I mean, obviously it, it, everyone probably said the, the same things, I think, and it's, it's ADAS and EVs, right? Um, EVs are going to be huge. They're not going away. Not, you know, not that you'd want them to, I'm not, not necessarily an EV guy, but I could see myself driving one at some point. Um, the training on those things, I think are, our industry is at a, at a tough fight. If you talk to a lot of people in our industry right now, you're going to get, man, I'm, you know, if they've been in it for a while and burnt out, this is a struggle, you know, the parts supply, insurance delays, that kind of thing. But I also think it's exciting because this technology is, is going in the direction where I wanted it to go for a long time, where, you know, the techs aren't body men anymore. You know, uh, the estimators are blueprinters now. It's a technical industry and it, and it offers a lot of opportunity for technicians to grow. Um, make more money to be more fulfilling. I mean, I, I think that if I didn't get into the management side of it, I'd still be slinging Bondo and slapping panels. Not very good. I wasn't a great tech, but I would be more excited to get into this industry, that side of it now because of the technology, because of the things you can learn. It's not as, as uh, backbreaking as it is thought, you know, driven. And I think that's exciting. I, you know, autonomous cars, we're in San Francisco where the building's at that I'm sitting at right now, I'm surrounded by two of the biggest autonomous autonomous car companies. They don't crash, <laughs> you know, right. they don't trust them all they want. And I said, well, I got a shop full of driver cars, but I don't have any driverless cars in here. Um, that's going to affect our industry. Now, you know, I'm old enough to where it probably won't affect me. And if you're in your thirties and forties, you're probably going to be able to build a nice career in here. I question how that affects, affects people later on. So the, the technicians, the young guys that we're bringing up, we're trying to invest as much time and training as possible on the EV front and the ADAS front, because there's always going to be a need for them to work on those systems. Great. Great answer, too, by the way. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, because that, that was the, one of the things that um, is driverless cars, you know, so um, and uh, eventually they say, oh, we want to do driverless trucks. Well, you know, the truck drivers are still laughing at that one. Let me see you take a truck over Vail Pass during January. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not a fan of the technology. I mean, I, I have personal <laughs> beliefs on all that stuff. You know, I yeah. don't know why we're eliminating the need for, for human beings, but I know it's coming. I'm not, you know, I'm not, in house. I've heard of some people go, ah, that'll never happen. I see it every day. You, know, you walk outside my facility and 
there'll be a parade of cars driving down the street with nobody in them. And it's just getting better and better. So it's unfortunate because again, I, I don't know what we're trying to replace with that, but it is going to happen. Of all the buggy makers back in the day, Oldsmobile was the only one that said, hey, I think these cars are going to do something. And they invested <laughs> all, all the rest of them are gone. Oldsmobile yeah, yeah. made it. So uh, how do you uh, approach competition in your industry? You know, that's up and down, right? Uh, right. The past, I'd say, a good six, seven years, you didn't have to worry about the competition. I mean, we're especially, you know, where we're, we're located, we're in San Francisco. It's relatively small, big city. Um, we know most of the other shops and, and we're all friendly. We've all said, you know, there's plenty of work to go around for all of us during lean times. That gets a little tough. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk in the industry about the consolidators, you know, um, and how they can come into an area and really hurt small businesses. Our facility is fortunate enough to be in a position that, that we don't have to worry about that kind of thing. We have quite a few OEM certifications. Um, we work directly with our dealer partners. Um, right. And I mean, I really mean that as a partner, we're, we're, we're a wing of these dealers, you know, they have 50 employees working down the street for them, you know, whether it's for sales or the parts department or the service department. So, you know, our competitions, we have some large body shop groups here in San Francisco. And again, we're friendly with them. The, we share work, we share clients. Um, they've made mistakes. I fix cars for them. I've made mistakes. They fix car for us. Um, right. I, I, I don't know. I mean, where I, I, I think it goes, I think it's different geographically wherever you go, right? You know, Los Angeles is a very, very competitive market. In the San Francisco Bay Area, the East Bay Area, um, which is more of a suburban area, is a very, very competitive market. Where, where we're at, is it's competitive. There's good quality shops, which is great, but um, none of us have been lacking for work in the past few years. Okay, well, that's good. So um, has digital played any impact on the growth of your business? As far as marketing? Yeah, website design, paid ads, Google paid ads, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's uh, you guys mostly work directly with the the uh, auto dealers. The majority of our digital marketing is in SEO. Um, we do very little social media, and I, it's probably not wise of me. Um, if I can give any, you know, more advice that I, I had learned from Dave Dunn was you don't want to market when you're when you're slow, you want to market year round. You never want to drop your advertising budget. You know, maybe you lower it a little bit when you're slammed and you can't take cars, but you never cut everything. You always want to be marketing. Um, I'm not great on social media because I'm not, I don't, you know, I understand it. I'm a technical guy. I just, I'm not a fan of it. So it, it, it hasn't related to our business. We do have, um, you know, Instagram and Facebook. I can't remember the last time we've done anything on it. We, we're big on SEO because my belief is no one really looks at your website as much as they just want to Google how to get their car fixed. They exactly. want to find Plymouth to pick a BMW. Um, Facebook is shoving it in your face and all social media shoves it down your face. And, and that's why I think it's so effective when you need it. Um, we don't use that that much. The rest of it is, is our relationships with our dealers, our insurance companies. Sure. We're not big on DRPs, but we're not anti-insurance either. We, yeah. we do have our little battles with them, but we, I think we've got a pretty good reputation with insurance companies. And even if we're not on their program, they reach out to us for, for you know, technical advice and stuff like that. Yeah, something I preach to all of my clients, and then I'm creating videos and putting them on YouTube and all that to try to help business owners make better choices when they choose a, an SEO company, is you need to invest in SEO one to two years before you need it. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, you can't turn it on like a switch. 
That's why. Yeah, that's why you don't. You don't like. Oh my God! There's people. I'm sure call you in a panic. I haven't had work in months. It's too late. I I, uh, I want to start that SEO program now. And it, it, <laughs> um, you need the results now. You needed to start it when we talked in last year. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, so that that's good advice to, to give for for any uh, shop owner. Uh, SEO is it's not bad to say I'm too busy for you right now. That 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 presents headaches. I understand it presents headaches to schedule out, but you're still advertising. You're still getting people because a year from now you might not be busy, and if that person still hears your voice, they might actually you know come back to you at that point. Hey, can you get me in now? Can you get me in now? Right. Okay. So, uh, hey, what advice would you give to any aspiring? um entrepreneur who's like just getting started in their auto repair shop they're in their first second third year uh they want to grow um I, I already i own a digital marketing company so i already know what i'm going to say you need to invest in digital uh because there's only two ways that people get business a referral and if i don't have a referral to some to somebody's shop i go to google and i type in auto body repair in the city and i click on the first thing that comes up so um, that's pretty much it. But um, but, you know, what advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur? That's just, you know, maybe they were working for a shop. They want to start their own. You know, if they haven't started their shop yet and they're in the planning dream stage, like I like to call it. Uh, <laughs> I think as I've said this and some people are like, man, that, that's kind of morbid. But think of all the worst case scenarios when we're thinking about starting our business, we're thinking. Uh, we're going to, the clients are going to love us. We're going to do a great service for this client, whether we're selling this widget or fixing a car or whatever, it's going to be great. We're selling these smoothies. Think of all the worst things that can happen. You know, think about when people don't come through the door, right? Think about the very worst things that happen. How will you unwind that business? If you're halfway through a couple of years and you got half the cars out there and you're running out of funds and you know, you're closing, how are the banks going to take those booths back? I know it sounds terrible, but I think it alleviates a ton of anxiety because then you ask yourself, can I get through that? Can I, is that a risk I'm willing to take? Is that something that I'm willing to put everything out there for? And then the business fails, but I can still rebuild my life. I can still get a job and I'll owe that money for a long time. You take that worry away. I didn't have that worry the few, first few years. I, I selfishly, my kids were a little older, so I didn't feel like I was really letting anyone down except for myself. If, if it, uh, my, my partner had some young kids, if it, if it did fail. So the failure thing wasn't the part that kept me awake at night, you know, it, um, it, well, it did, but it, it eliminates a lot of those concerns and you plan for it. You know, you're like, okay, what does happen in a year if there aren't any cars in here? Well, I'm going to make sure there's cars in here today. I'm not just going to open up and hang my sign and and hope they show up. I'm going to work towards that, that year point down the road when it, when it might be thin. We all got great ideas when we're starting a business, but we don't think about all the bad stuff. And I, and I people have started businesses that have failed that I've talked to. Um, I, I feel that they, they never really thought about those things ahead of time. So they weren't preparing. Right. They didn't have a contingency. They weren't trying to avoid them because they, they weren't, they didn't want to think about losing their business after they've invested so much. Right. You, you have to so that you can avoid it and, 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 and plan for it. Right. Worst, worst case scenario. And if this happened, what would, what would happen? Yeah. Well, yeah. What if we have the economy takes an absolute dump, you know, what, you know, what's the contingency plan? Most people don't have it. Um, my wife and I do. <laughs> so one of our contingency plans was to specialize in automotive, which is a more, um, uh, historically it's a more uh, recession 
resistant industry. Locksmiths. We started in 2008. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> we opened in November of 2008. 2008. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Right. yeah. Hey, don't think I, I didn't have some sleepless nights. I mean, <laughs> we were planning for a good 12, 16 months before. And, and of course, we were watching the news and we, you know, we were all aware of what was going on, but we were so deep into planning a business. I, I do remember signing the lease contracts and everything and the operating agreement with, with the investors and the partners and then waking up the next day going, oh, my God, the world's collapsing. And we just we just borrowed and threw a bunch of money into this thing. And right. But we got through it somehow. Yeah, that's it. Can you recommend any books, resources, tools, training programs, blah, 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 to, um, any, um, to the anyone, any shop owner? Um, I read a few business books that really, really helped me. One is Driven by BMW. Okay. Or not by BMW, but about the BMW story. Right. Um, talks about having a, a, a goal, a vision, and having your entire company work towards it. So, you know, BMW, you could walk into their corporate office and talk to a janitor and and the decisions that, that janitor should make are based on the ultimate driving machine. Um, there's another one by Bob Lutz, uh, you know, seven rule, I think it's seven rules of business by Bob Lutz, the old car executive. That okay. one was pretty phenomenal. Um, I love Carl Sewell's books, you know, from Sewell Cadillac, Customers for Life. Yep, Sewell Cadillac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're great. Training, you know, any industry training. And, you know, the, the trade magazines are great. Don't underestimate reading as many trade magazines as possible. Automotive News is not an auto body based one, but it definitely helps you focus on where the industry is going. And yeah, I get their email every day, Automotive News. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I just signed up for their, um, uh, which is great because I, and I scan over because it tells me kind of what's going on. Right. Yeah. yeah. ASA, I, I'm, I belong to ASA and I, and they're their newsletter too because I, they, this stuff comes through all the time. They kind of tell me what's going on. But Automotive News is like they got their real thumb on the pulse of that yeah. yeah 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 every now and then they do a an article about the collision repair industry and i get all excited you know we're, we're the stepchilds of the uh, the automotive industry but again it, it talks to you where the industry is going which is always going to trickle down to us so right yeah yeah okay all right listen i really appreciate your time today uh, i'm a digital marketing guy uh, uh interviewing a successful body shop guy are there any questions that i should have asked that you would have asked yourself <laughs> i was like asking that one you know are there any are there any questions you'd ask yourself that I didn't think of? I just kind of wrote down my notes here, or did I kind of cover it? <laughs> you, did a, you did a pretty good job. I mean, good, thanks. Before, yeah. I don't know that I have surprise you wanted to talk to me anyway. I mean, I, I get a lot of my answers from other other people, so I, I think um, no, I think you covered it. You're good. Yeah, no, mentorship's important. My wife and I belong to an organization that has around 300 agency owners in it. And we're all frenemies, so to speak, because we all specialize in different niches. And there's several people that specialize in my niche. And we go to the same conferences down in Miami three times a year. But, man, we learn so much from each other. Tips, trick, you know, uh, things that have, uh, Google had 500 algorithms alone last year. So, you know, it's, you know, you really got to stay on top of SEO a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, I'm glad that you were able to, you know, give us a really good. Uh, reference for the value of SEO in the business because it really is. You're, you're either going to get referrals or people are going to get Google search. And if you're not on Google search, then forget it. You're only getting this one half of the business, the referrals. 
So there's a whole nother massive amount of revenue that will come in from the from digital that these other shops don't know about because they're not investing in it and yeah. they won't take that leap to do it. So anyway, uh, I will, uh, Dennis, I'll send you, um, my team will get together and they'll polish this up. It's got a nice little snazzy beginning and all that stuff and Top Shop podcast and, and we'll send you a link to the finished um, video and you can download it. You, you can do whatever you want with it. You know, we're going to take it. We're going to put it on um, everything, TikTok, YouTube, you know, uh, shorts. We're going to create little shortcuts out of it. You know, we're going to put it on social media and all that stuff. So anyway, so we'll try to make you famous. <laughs> yeah, not exactly where I want to go, but that's okay. <laughs> My wife and I were out in San Francisco. She's Filipino. And we, uh, uh, some with the passport, and we, we got so sick and tired of trying to deal with these people. Let's, let's get on a plane, go to the, <laughs> go there. And so we went there and we went to Alcatraz. I wanted to go to see, you know, Alcatraz. Yeah. Yeah. And we couldn't see the bridge. So it was because it was foggy. So anyway, uh, my wife wants to go, I want to go back to San Francisco because I want to see the bridge. And that that's a symbol of the United States of America to um, a greater part of the world, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Did you did you happen to notice an old classic truck out on Alcatraz? How yes. Long? Yes. When when you yes when you walk through the, the there's tunnel? a thing that you yeah that tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. We restored that. No kidding. There's a plaque on the frame, a metal plaque that we had made, and it actually says our name, uh, the technicians who worked on it, when it was worked on. Um, it was a long project. It was and it was obviously a passion project because. You know, we love San Francisco. We're, we're San Franciscans and and Alcatraz is a big part of that. That truck was out there for many, many years. And uh, basically it had somebody restored it many years ago, but they just bonded the hell out of it. And oh. we completely dipped it, stripped it and restored it. And uh, yeah, it sits out there. It was kind of sad the day it actually drove out. You know, we got it running. It wasn't running before. So they actually do drive it around the island. I'll be. Yeah, I remember the truck. I was trying to remember where it is. It was that tunnel when you walk through the tunnel. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember taking pictures of that. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. So, hey, we'll send you an email as soon as we got the uh, whole thing polished and finished up, and I'll send you the link. Thank, sure. thank you very much for your time and your insight. We really appreciate it. Of course, Paul. Thank you. All right. Have a great, have a great day. Bye-bye. For additional automotive resources and exclusive content, follow us on Spotify and subscribe to our YouTube channel to catch all our episodes. Thanks again for joining us in the driver's seat, and we'll see you next time for another thrilling episode of Top Shop.